Chapter 26, we pick it up and we read this. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, as an inheritance to possess and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is a priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction in our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place. He has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. And then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. And when you finish laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, so they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and I've also given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commandments, which you've commanded me. And I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed it from an unclean use, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, and I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This most likely was a, a first-time special tithe for the people when they came into the promised land, this particular generation, and it was there for them to do, and it's clearly defined. It's pretty unusual that, and special and unique in the sense that they had a, like a declaration to say, almost like at Calvary Chapel High School when they sing the Calvary Chapel song at the end of football games or a Pledge of Allegiance or National Anthem for a sporting event. This was something that they were to say. They're going to say this and the priest is going to say that. Then they're going to say this. Now, God gave this instruction through Moses. And it was to remind them when they're in the land and that they began to reap the benefits of God's blessings to them, they were heirs. We know that they inherited everything. They just didn't inherit some things. They inherited everything. Like we, some of you, are going to work hard your whole life for what you have. And maybe your parents laid up an inheritance. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they left you a jet, which is really unfortunate, but that does happen. And you're going to go forward with what you've earned and maybe nothing was left for you. And that's what you got. And you can say, I'm a a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I worked hard. I made this happen. This is my doing. I went to college. I paid off my loans. I worked hard. I paid my dues. And this is my life. And this is what I've done. I paid in my 401k, whatever. Then some of you might actually be in a situation where you do that, but you realize you have had inheritance and people have blessed you. And your parents set aside money for your college education, and your parents were able to leave an inheritance, and maybe they left you a house, and you and your siblings divvied it up. Uh, my friend's mother passed away not so long ago in Carlsbad, and the three boys, the, there were two houses in Carlsbad, and they were divvied up in the trust. They never knew it was in the trust. The trust was open when she passed, and lo and behold, that they, you know, was not particularly was expected, but it was evenly divided between the three, and there's an inheritance. So for my friends... They could say, hey, we worked hard, this is what we've done, but now we've received this real estate wealth in Carlsbad, and you can add that to what, who we are and our net worth. And some people, they maybe never work, and, and they have an inheritance. We call those trust fund babies because there are people that are like that. I know, I know, I know people firsthand they are like that. They never had to work a day in their life because they're part of a billionaire, millionaire enterprise, and they can live off this, and it kind of affects them a certain way that when you don't actually go out and have that first day at work at Del Taco or something, you're, you're kind of missing something that's meant to happen in your life. But in this case, they everything they receive is from the Lord. So they can't say, I earned it. There wasn't one Israelite in those 12 tribes when the land was divided, the 13 tribes, including the Levites, if you will, they could never say, like, no one in Ephraim could wake up 
The third year, they're in the promised land going like, I earned this. And we whoop those Canaanites and this is ours. No one takes this from me. This is mine. It's like the wife would have to say, honey, you know, we were like slaves 50 years ago. Our parents were. We wandered in the wilderness eating manna. Did you not learn anything? Everything we have, the Lord gave us. This land, the Lord gave us. This house he gave us. This vineyard, these fig trees. He gave it all to us. So let's not get too puffed up right now, honey. We receive this from the Lord. And that's why when we go to give this special tithe, we're going to say, I was a descendant of a Syrian. I was nobody. We had no trust from our earthly father. I had no job. I had nothing to bring. But the Lord has blessed us in the land and given us this, and we acknowledge him over us. And now we rejoice, not because in our pride we attain this, but by through humility, knowing God is good and the Lord is always good. He gave it to us. Isn't that nice that he gave them something to actually speak out loud his blessings to them? And it says that you will rejoice in all that I've given you. And theirs was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a great land. It wasn't like we say, you know, you inherited a a house 10 miles from downtown Barstow over the hill. (laughs) Right? You inherited oceanfront property at Dana Strand with the Lord. You got blessed. We got blessed. So we can look at everything in our life and do the same thing. Like we're not going to come in the third year and say, the Lord did this and the Lord did that. But we, we do that twice a week, hopefully. And we say, yeah, Lord, you did this. Let your people praise you and sing to you. That's a reminder that God is a provider and he's been good to them. And the Lord is good because he's going to give them some very serious warnings before we're done tonight. Because there's warnings against sin because sin destroys and sin kills and it wrecks everything and everybody. But he wants them to just pronounce a blessing. Yeah, hey, you know what? You're blessed. Just pronounce the blessing. That's what you're going to do. So it's good. The Lord was giving them something to remind them. It's almost like you're going to read the trust (laughs) after the fact (laughs) during the tithes. Like, here's the trust, and I received this from the Lord, and I received that from the Lord, and we all received this from the Lord, and God is good. And you bring it to the Lord, and you just praise the Lord. You've been filled with all the good things, and you've sown bountifully and shared it with other people. The Levite, the stranger, the widow. We pick it up in verse 16. This day the Lord your God command you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you should be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed to the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his judgments, his keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed to you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations, which is made in praise and name and honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. This is the same passage we read on Saturday for topically, if you weren't here. This was our topical study on Saturday. Just a couple keen things to point out here, that it says today three times, this day, today, and then again, also today the Lord has proclaimed this. So it had the, the power of conclusion. This is Moses wrapping up his sermon, and it's the whole conclusion of the law. And he says, today, he's brought it to the point of an invitation, or as Pastor Chuck would say, the pastors up front afterwards, if you want to pray with them after service, and we'd be standing there in our seats like this. It's a point of contact. It's a point of completion for what's being said. And he said to them that you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. That's their part of the covenant. They went forward at the altar call, if you will. And it says the Lord has proclaimed you to be a special people. So they responded in faith and the promises were theirs. And they were God's people and he was their God. And they were a special people. And a key thought that we took away on Saturday night, I I remind us before we move on to chapter 27 tonight, that's very important, is that as Israel was called by God a special people, they're not like any other nation they were not like any other nation in the world at the time. Not the nomadic Germanic roaming tribes of Europe, not the Mongolian tribes, not the you know, Chinese kingdoms of that time. Of all the people in the world that lived wherever they lived, they were a special people. They were a people of covenant as a nation entrusted with the word of God and the Messiah Jesus Christ promised to them. They were a special people. And so, too, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit affirms this to the church because through Peter the Apostle, we're told that we are called, the church, a special people. 
because we're not like the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, and we're set apart. And even as Israel was to be holy and set apart to the Lord, because he said, you are a holy people to the Lord, so too Peter also said in the same context of the church being a special people, there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2, he says that the church is a holy people. We are set apart. We are set apart to Jesus Christ, and we are sanctified by his word. So that's why Jesus said we could be persecuted for two reasons. We, be, we can be persecuted for his namesake, just the name of Jesus. But we can be persecuted for righteousness' sake, which is his word. And we see in every generation an intolerance against the name of Jesus. And we see a rise in intolerance against the righteousness of his character and his truths revealed in his word from Genesis to Revelation. And that's a difficult thing for us to deal with, but we can't lower our standards just because the world's lowering their standards. So we need to remember as we're gathered here tonight in Jesus' name, and we're singing, let his people praise and let his people sing, we need to remember we are not the world. The blood of Jesus Christ doesn't leave us in Egypt in bondage and slavery. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are the church, and we are set apart, and we are a holy people. And all those New Testament writings like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and these various epistles, the book of James, they're written to remind us that we are a set-apart people, that the world's standards are not our standards, but God's standards are our standards. And he's given us from Genesis to Revelation to properly be a compass to guide and govern our every thought, every attitude, every worldview, every action and reaction that we have. And whatever the world thinks on this side of the dimension of eternity doesn't matter when we're on the other side. On this side, the rainbow is a symbol of tolerance for sin and rebellion against God. On that side, it's the throne of God. Do you realize all the Christians that are capitulating their faith and the word of God in the name of the LGBTQ? Do you realize as they're capitulating and embracing these things in the name of pseudoscience, what they're doing is damnable, and it's, it's sinful, and it's wrong. It's a compromise of the most subtle form of God's word. And once you begin to erode that first part, you're a goner. Billy Graham, before he did the famous Billy Graham crusade in L.A. in 1948, his mentor, the man he loved the most, renounced his faith to liberalism, progressivism in the name of Jesus. And Billy Graham was stunned. They both worked for Youth for Christ. And the man called Billy, the man Billy trusted the most, called him in his room and said, you got it all wrong, Billy. The Bible's not the word of God. You can't trust it. And a God of love would never allow what happened to the Jews in Auschwitz and these various things in Europe that happened in World War II. And you got to change your theology, Billy. Do you know that Billy went for a walk by forest homes out here in San Bernardino for days? And he wrestled in his heart with God. And he had to decide whether he thought the word of God was completely and totally the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And he came to a conclusion in his own book, Just As I Am, which I've read and have in my library. And I don't have many books, so you have to make the cut to be in mine. And he came to the conclusion that there are many parts of the word of God he does not understand, but he still accepts them as the word of God. And it was from that moment that he went from being an obscure youth evangelist to the great Billy Graham. And it was from that moment where he began to use the phrase, the Bible says. He wrestled with God over the issues of his day in the name of progressivism and liberalism, pseudoscience, all of it. And he purposed in his heart when he come to that which he did not understand, he'd fall back on what he believed, that the word of God, all of it, is sufficient for the journey and righteous and true and let God be true and every man a liar. And Billy Graham always saw himself as a special person and a holy person. And he saw his wife as a special person and a holy person. And he saw his children, Franklin and Anne and Bunny and the rest of them as special people, holy people, and the grandchildren's William and the others as special people and holy people, and so do I. 
And so did Pastor Chuck. The Bible says is the final authority. And the shocker of the ages for this generation body of Christ, and hear me well, because I've been thinking a lot on this. I had the Lord wake me up not so long ago, and he said, just because people spin a convincing pseudoscience to justify something does not mean it's true. If I say something's immoral, it is immoral, and my character does not change. All those five letters of the acronym stand for sinful action that we read about in this book in Deuteronomy and reaffirms the New Testament. This is God's law. And what's so grievous is to see the beautiful rainbow that speaks of grace and mercy and the very throne room of God, to see it trampled on and used to manipulate little children and to confuse people and to confuse an entire human race. It makes me repulsively sick in my stomach. But I can assure you tonight, body of Christ, that when we step into eternity, the hijacking of the rainbow in time, space, and matter will have nothing to do with eternity. Because in the eternity, in eternity, in Revelation chapter 4, the rainbow is the very color presence of the Father's glory in the throne of glory. So let the world hijack that rainbow, but know this, the moment we breathe our last, that rainbow is a completely different thing. And the tragedy of this generation is that every rainbow-loving person who confesses Jesus Christ and sees those things as biological dispositions and not moral choices, they will find out when they breathe their last and step into eternity, the rainbow they leave behind is completely different than the rainbow they're going to stand before. In Jesus' name, I have sat, I have thought it, and I have heard, and I have spoken. He who has ears, let him hear. Don't be moved. We are a special people. We're all holy people. Don't let the devil move us from the holy ground and the special ground that Christ's blood puts us on. Chapter 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today, and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with wine. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use any iron tool on them. You shall build with the whole stone the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat them and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests and the Levites spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So again, chapter 27, we left off with that today three times using those back verses. And here it is again. So Moses is building, and it's like this, this day. This day, verse, verse 9, you become the people of God. Therefore you're going to observe... If you say you're the people of God, you're going to be governed by the word of God and the spirit of God. Don't say you're the people of God and be governed by the worldviews of the Canaanites and their constitution. If you're the people of God, you're the people of God and you're governed by God. So you're going to obey the law. So what does he do for the people of covenant? God tells him, when you get in the land, you're going to get the stones and you're going to use lime and you're going to put a giant, like a giant monument that everyone walking by can see. It's the law of God. It's a giant Bible from, your, from the youngest to the oldest to walk by and read and see to guide them and govern them. From the time you go to kindergarten, from the time you go to junior high, from the time you graduate high school and you walk away from college and all the influences you would have had, you were, it was designed and set up by God. His law was there. It was there to be seen up front, visual, clear in the open and we're going to see in just a moment if you chose to obey it you got the blessings if you chose to rebel against it you got the curses on a national level but also on a personal level and if you made the right decisions on a personal level you avoided the consequences of a national level or at least you were brought through them with the lord taking care of you unlike someone else so there's people who would reject this big stone with all this law of god and they would 
rejected on a national level, geopolitically, and they were rejected on a personal level within their home. So when they got hauled off by the Assyrians, naked, stripped naked, in chains, they brought it on themselves. And the last thing you'd see leaving the land is the law as they're leaving, that lime-washed wall of the law. And have all the time in their captivity, in captivity, learning foreign languages amongst foreign people, thinking what they left behind, all the good things of the Lord, all that time in captivity to think about the good things that God had for them. And the last thing he would have said, seen was the law of God confirming why they were being rejected. They couldn't say we didn't know. They did know. They did know. And those that got to stay or maybe found mercy like Jeremiah or Daniel or Esther and those that went away in the Babylonian captivity, that this passage, the law, they chose to obey the law. They chose to fast and cry out for the people. And like Esther said to Mordecai, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But I'm going to do the right thing. As Mordecai said, who's not to say you weren't raised up for such a time as this? An orphan raised by an uncle. Daniel, super smart, the very best of private Christian education, hauled off to UC Babylon to be indoctrinated with everything against God. And he stood. And he told his professors, you can teach me Babylon, but you'll never make me a Babylonian. And his friends, who were the sophomores, the, he was the first class there behind him. We see him in the chapter going like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you can make us do all this and even give us good jobs, like, but just know this, that's not our song. And we're definitely not bowing down to your idol, you. Worship God, not men. And they took that stand. Because they have the law of God over the entire land to guide them as a nation. And even if the nation rejects it, it's still there to guide those who choose to believe it and align their hearts with it. And that's what we choose to do. Or as the psalmist says, we choose the fear of the Lord. That's what we have to choose. We're going to step into eternity and not just leave behind one rainbow to go to another one. We're going to step into eternity and we're going to find that everything on the law of God, everything on the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is a standard by which everything is measured when the books are open for unbelievers and even the book of the Lamb's Book of Life is open for what is wood, hay, and stubble and what's precious stones in our life. When we stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives as believers and we're in the kingdom, we're in the Lamb's Book of Life, we're going to give an account for our time management. We're going to give an account for our relationships. We're going to give an account for our gifts and callings from the Lord, how we did it, what we did with it. And it's going to be based upon how much did God's law govern our life and how much did it impact our life to the actions of our life. And it's going to be tested by fire, and what makes it, makes it. Now, when the books are open for non-believers in Revelation 20, they're going to be held accountable for unbelief and every uh, sinful act against God from his law. We have to see past the temporal now more than ever in the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. We have to see past the temporal. We have to see the eternal. We have to see the day of the Lord and let that be our measuring rod. For these light afflictions are not worthy, worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming our way. We have to see the eternal. And God putting his law right there, cleaned up and shining up for them was to their benefit. So as they went through life, they'd make the right decisions. And those that did were blessed and those that didn't weren't. Is that simple? But he said, you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. The rejection of the gospel and the righteousness of God's word is not because it's complicated. Pastor Chuck said it best so many years ago. It's because people choose to rebel against it. It's not because it's not clear and easy to understand. It's because the heart's deceitfully wicked. So we need to humble our hearts and keep our hearts tender so that we never judge any of God's law. Not one verse, not one word. It is much better to let God's word judge us and correct us than to sit back as judge of God's word. Think of all those people who've mocked his word, you know, step into eternity and see the father, that rainbow over his throne in his glory. And the books are going to be opened. It's all about eternity. It's just all about eternity. Verse 11, Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you've crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, 
Judah, Iskar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. Verse 14, and the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Curses is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. Boy, what do people do in secret? And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Curses is the one who treats his father and mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curses is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curses is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fathers and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is one who lies with his father's wife because he's uncovered his father's bed. And all the people say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curses is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curses is the one who takes a bribe and slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, Moses is describing the future. Moses is, we've moved on from the past remembered and the law given. Now he's saying, this is what you can expect in the future. I'm I'm giving you a vision of the future. And in this sense, this early round of curses is like a warm-up band. This is just the prelude. This is just really just the warm-up. And the things, the curses in Deuteronomy are so serious and I'm sure that's one of the reasons why this book has just been attacked by such, with such unrelenting force by liberals for centuries, decades, millenniums. But remember, this book is quoted 80 times in the New Testament by the New Testament writers. And God's law, we're told in the New Testament, is good. It's a great law. We can't save ourselves by keeping it, but it's a great law. So we can't, we can't change the standard because we disagree with it. You just can't rip the page out of the Bible and say, like, well, I don't like that. Like, I don't even know what page number this is in my Bible. It's like, what, page 192? Well, I'm just going to rip it out because I don't like it. There's people outside these doors that like to rip out this page right here. Keep it there. It's not going to save you. You're gonna be, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's still a standard of righteousness. And only a fool would tear a page of the Bible out, either literally with their hands or with their mind in their hearts. Now, this last verse curses whoever doesn't observe all of it. This verse is quoted in the book of Galatians, and surely enough, when Paul is making the case that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we're not saved by good works and by keeping the Ten Commandments and the law of God, he quotes this passage saying that no one has kept the law and therefore wonder the curse of the law. So in the context of Galatians chapter 3, what the Holy Spirit is saying is you think we're good enough to save ourselves. So now we're moving on from licentiousness to world religions and Christian self-righteousness. If we think that we're saving ourselves other than being saved through faith in Jesus Christ, we are cursed because we're either going to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross for us and his resurrection for our justification, or we're going to save ourselves by keeping the law of God perfectly 100%, never sinning but that no one has kept the law is evident. So cursed is everyone who tries to keep the law. So though the law is good and just and noble and praiseworthy and perfect, it becomes, it kills us. It kills every human being who ever thinks they can get to heaven and stand before that rainbow throne of the Father apart from faith in Jesus Christ. See, when we stand before the throne of God, we need to stand in the righteousness of Christ And the Father will see him when he sees us. He doesn't see our criminal past. So far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. So to have that positional righteousness through faith in Christ, when we receive Christ and we're saved by faith, his righteousness is imputed or reckoned to our account. So it's like his perfect righteousness before he went to the cross is then transferred to us. So, and our sins are transferred to him on the cross. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So you see, we're not cursed because we're not trying to be saved by the law. We're saved 100% through faith in Jesus Christ. By grace you've been saved, that through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works. So we're standing there 
in perfect righteousness because the Father sees us in him. But the holiness is the practical righteousness that overflows from it in the life of the Spirit. But that's never perfect. But our positional righteousness is. So this last verse, curse is everyone who doesn't keep it all. The curse is not on the believer who's saved through faith. The curse is on anyone who thinks that they're saving themselves apart from Jesus Christ. Because the law will curse them because no one can keep the Ten Commandments and keep the civil law perfectly. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but no one else does. And having died for us in our place, he has, in that sense, removed the curse, having become the curse for us. It's wonderful. It's theological, and it's positional, and it's true. So I point that out because that's an important verse right there because it is another one of those Deuteronomy verses referenced in the New Testament by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to confirm to us that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to read chapter 28 tonight. It is a lengthy chapter. It's a, a egregious chapter in some ways in that it addresses heinous things. But it's God's word. So just put the stone rock up here, scrub it with lime, and I'm going to read it, point out a couple things as we would think of them for us. Of course, if you know your Old Testament, a lot of these things happen to Israel for their unbelief. But as we look at it tonight, we'll just point out a couple things. That you just say, wow, okay, well, that's something we need to think about in the life of Christ and walking in the Spirit. Chapter 28, first the good stuff. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And because you obey the voice of the Lord your God, okay, so because they would obey the voice of the Lord God, blessed shall be you in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and your offspring of your livestock. Basically, blessed be all your assets. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. You'll have all the food you need. Blessed shall, be, blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and all which you set your hand. And he will bless you the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. These are the blessings. I find it interesting that the blessings are fairly simple, and there's basically 14 verses. The curses are much more profound with quite a few more verses than this. I will point out to you that the, the, the totality, if you, the, the macro picture, he said back there in verse 2, I'll set you high above. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you as a result of your obedience. Then in verse 8, I'm going to command the blessings on you in your storehouses and all that you set your hand to. So your whole life, your identity, your work, what you do. Like your whole life, your purpose, I'm going to bless it. And then he said in verse 13, I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. You're going to be loved, not beneath. I'm going to make you a leader, not a follower. I'm going to, I'm going to let you be. Because you fear me and you obey me, I'm going to raise you up to lead other people. And, and to be a blessing to other people. To be the head, not the tail, is not to lord over people, but to lead people. Obviously, I think we understand that. So again, a summary of these blessings, that the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, that the commandment, the Lord will command blessings on us, and that we'll be above and not beneath. So let's just think this through right now. In June of 2021, as a follower of Christ, don't you want the blessings to overtake you? When you read this, don't you want, I mean, I want the blessings to overtake me. Like, you think you're being overtaken by a lot of things, and generally the, the first thought is probably something negative. 
But to be overrun by the blessings of God, like, that's awesome. Like, to overtake you, to be overrun by the blessings of God. For the church of Jesus Christ, we're told that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus. So we are already overtaken by the blessings of God through who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So to really know those blessings and be overtaken by those blessings, to have them command upon our life, that's going to come from prioritizing Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and having him be supreme over every aspect of our life. We're going to walk in being overtaken by the blessings. And of course for us, and, and you younger people, younger people think more about, because I know, I was once young, you think about security, financial security, you think about like a bigger house, a nicer car, things like that, and things you want to do for your kids that you otherwise maybe couldn't do, and all this stuff. But then, you know, when you're 60, you realize the things that really matter when you're serving the Lord, you had everything your kids needed. You really did. At least in our case, I know God took care of us. And, and when I think about blessings at 60, I'm not thinking about, like, temporal wealth. To be honest, I'm thinking physical health. To be pain-free at 60 is a blessing, and everyone over 60 here knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you can be pain-free over 60 and be fairly pain-free over 70 and have good freedoms, like still driving a car, maybe still even riding a bike, by the time you get to 100, you lose all your freedoms, all of them. We know that. The older people know that. Younger people probably don't think about it. But by the time you're 100, you don't have any freedom, pretty much, except to praise Jesus where you're at. So the blessings that we think when we're 20 might look like this, where you have time and energy and now you need money because you don't have money. But then you get a little bit older, you have less time, less energy, and you might have some money. But in the end, you can have a lot of money, but you're out of time and you're out of energy because entropy works against all of us. So the blessings overrunning us are truly being sanctified and set apart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings are being spirit-filled, making good choices, meditating upon his word, praising his name. Just There's people that sat here in the front row a year ago that are facing such serious battles with cancer. I had, a, I had a woman send me a Bible study note that someone took on me back in 1990 at Calvary Vista. I'm doing the memorial next month. My good friend who I grew up with, one of the Norman brothers. I only did baptism one time at Tamarack Beach where I learned to surf and dreamed of being the Pipe Masters champion. I baptized Richard Norman at Tamarack Beach. And his paddle out is this Saturday at 1 o'clock at Tamarack Beach. I've never been to a high school reunion. The next one I would go to, 50 years. How did that happen? How did I get to a 50-year reunion in 2029? Well, I'll tell you what, I get reunions when I bury my friends from Carl's bed. That's my high school reunion. They'll all be there. And the blessings are in having yielded my life at age 27 to Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings are when my wife and I got married when I was 30 and she was 26, we, 24, we chose to move to Virginia and be all in for ministry. When we lost our first son, we chose to give him to the Lord. When he gave us other children, we chose to give them to the Lord. The blessings are the photos of the family where they, can, they know they are raised in the Lord. We gave them all the great opportunities imaginable. We gave them Calvary Chapel High School, MCA, Santa Fe Christian, Calvary Chapel Vista Christian, North Burlington Mission Evangelical Christian, Hannah's Kidney Garden in 1995, 96. The blessings is when you look at those photos and you know you did what you could and you look in the mirror today and you know you're doing what you can. And it's about Jesus, his word, and eternity. And you don't fear men and you sure don't fear the rainbow. You fear the king and his rainbow. And that's when the blessings overtake you. And you're free. And we need to be free. And it might sound easier for me at 60 because you're 40. Or 20. I could have been more free at 40 than I was. And I could be more free at 70 than I am. And I can have more blessings overflowing me than I ever had yesterday. I can have more tomorrow. 
And that's the self-determination of choices I have for my life and you have for years. I want the blessings. But alas, I must read you the curses before we go. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city and cursed shall be you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed you shall be when you come in and cursed you shall be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing and confusion and rebuke and all that you set your hand to do until you're destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings which you've forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you're going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and mildew. And they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From heaven it shall be come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, and you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scabs, and with itch, and with which cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one will save you. This phrase in verse 28 gets my attention. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. If there's just such an apt description for people living apart from the life, from the life of Christ, it's confusion of heart. How much more so those who know better. Verse 30, you shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you, and you shall not, and it shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eye will look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you should become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You shall carry much seed out of the field, but gather little in, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. They shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your tree and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. And of course, obviously, this is exactly what we've seen in our country. We've appointed politicians since the day I was born. We've raised up kings who've removed the Ten Commandments or truth from public school. They removed prayer. And what do we got now? We don't even know what our gender is, though it's clearly determined at the point of conception. They've removed prayer, so who do people call out to? Government, not God. Who do they look to for provision? Expanding government, not the Heavenly Father. We introduced abortion in public schools right after it became legal in 1973 when I was in junior high. So instead of teaching the honor and sanctity of life, they taught us easy sex and cheap birth control at $100 in 1986. They taught us it was normal, it was fine, and it's all okay. It's just a form of birth control. And that's how it was in the 70s and the 80s, how much more so now, with 70 million innocent lives gone. And now we sell body parts of infants and those who expose it are the ones considered evil by those who are evil and do it. And our government currently supports them. 
We appoint kings who do evil. They kill innocent babies and sell their body parts. They take parts of innocent babies and put them in vaccines and in some cases force people to take them. This is the evil that we get. Our country, not under a covenant, but once under God, has not fulfilled this like Israel did. But in principle, we have certainly seen it in my timeline. And we thought it would all stop. We're just saying it's okay for two men to live together with equal rights. We had to have them be married and call it marriage. And then we had to punish Christians who won't bake their wedding cakes. And now we have grown men dressed like women in public schools educating kindergartners on identity. You shall be driven mad because of the sight of your eyes. And this is what we got. God forbid it's ever in the church. Verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar and from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until you, until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set soul of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. This did happen, in fact, it's in the record of the Old Testament during the besiegement of Jerusalem. A few years back, I did an extended study on starvation and what happens with starvation. The U.S. Army ran all kinds of studies on starvation in the late 30s, right before World War II, to kind of see how men would handle starving to death through war. And you know, you think of the internment camps and stuff like that that happened, particularly in the South Pacific. If you study what happens to the human mind in starvation, we cannibalize. We begin to fantasize about eating people. That is the most basic overriding response of all studies on starvation, is as people are starving to death, they fantasize eating other human beings. They cannibalize. And we do know, in various circumstances, people will eat human beings to stay alive. Now, we think in this room we'd never eat a human being. I think no matter how hungry I am, I'll never eat a human being. But then you watch a movie like Unbroken, I would think I would never eat a seagull either. But in the movie Unbroken, of course, it's a true story, where Louis Zapparini, you know, they, they get the seagull and they rip it apart and they're eating a seagull. And they're, they're just... When you're starving to death, you don't know what to do. This is what you do when you're starving to death. Me, I prefer to have the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what we get when we trust in Jesus. Jesus said, with food and clothing, be content. So no matter what anyone would do against us, I'm pretty certain we're going to have clothes and food. In fact, I'm totally certain. And if for some reason, for a season you don't, God has a lesson in it that he's teaching you for all eternity. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus teaches us when he was fasting from food. Now we close it out, verse 58. 
If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law, which also every sickness, excuse me, Every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from the ends of the earth and the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the soul of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening, and the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart, because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way which I said to you, You shall never see it again, and there shall be, and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves but no one will buy you. Which probably means you're worthless. If you're a slave and no one buys you, that's humanity's assessment of you for Israel in their plight and in their covenant. Again, obviously, we're not contextually Israel in this passage, but these things are sobering. And what does get my attention, closing thought here, is he says in verse 58, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants. See, that is consistent with the church. If we don't let God's word govern our home, our mind and our hearts from Genesis to Revelation, then you're going to allow the devil to come in the back door with you, but particularly your children. So all these people that are selling out the gospel and the word of God, for political correctness and the woke mob and cancel culture, they're going to be shocked and rocked in the next 20 years when they watch their kids go completely nuts and face the consequences of their sins. And I believe if we're willing to stand for truth, even if it doesn't change our world, it definitely changes our family and the destiny of our children. So I'm not just fighting for our country with prayer. We're not just fighting for our country and the, God, and the church worldwide with prayer. But I'm fighting where it matters most, in my home. We have not surrendered the word of God in our home in 33 years of marriage. And we have no intention of doing so. So if my kids and grandkids get something else, they're not going to get it at Papa and Nini's house. They're going to get the pure gospel and the word of God. That's what they're going to get. And it's going to be a loving place, a wonderful place, a joyful place, which is exactly what it is. And when we're gone, they're going to know why it was a lovely place, a joyful place, because we brought the tithes and we rejoiced before the Lord and all the goodness he ever did for us. And we chose the fear of the Lord and the service to Christ the King.